All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Oh, I'm about to spill somebody's papers. Very sorry. Let me put that back real fast. Okay, that's a good start, right? Good morning, Providence. How are you guys doing this morning? My name is Reese. I get the privilege of serving on staff here uh, with the college ministry. I'm excited to open up God's word with you guys this morning. Uh, and rest assured, if you're worried about the coronavirus, just make sure to t- uh, check out at the points in my sermon where I tell you that I was in Asia less than two weeks ago. Uh, so if you have anything bad to say about my sermon after this, just uh, make sure you wait for about a week just in case. Like, you know, I'm not sick. I don't have a cough. It's fine. We'll be, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. We'll trust God. He's sovereign. He's good. He's going to protect us this morning. Uh, but on a serious note, I want to invite you guys this morning as we dive in uh, just to join me in a posture of confident expectation. And our God has revealed himself through his word that we're about to read this morning. And I believe he's going to be faithful to speak to us through that word. And so would you guys join me one more time in prayer as we ask God to speak to us this morning. King Jesus, we come to you humbly this morning and confident that you have revealed yourself through your word. God, we're thankful that you have done that. God, we're thankful for the things that we get to know about you and about ourselves, the things that you have done uh, throughout all time and that you're continuing to do in and through your word and your work in creation. So God, this morning as we read and as we consider what you have for us, would you, uh, would you speak to us? God, would your word uh, enter into our hearts and into our minds? Would it shape us and mold us? Would it change us as we look more like you day and day by the power of your spirit? God, would you be faithful to do these things this morning? This we ask in your name. Amen. All right, so this morning I want you to think about a time where you were filled with anticipation. In the last month, my life has been filled with anticipation. As many of you know, as, and as I just mentioned, several of us on staff here uh, traveled to Asia just a few weeks ago. And this was my first time in Asia. And I'd heard uh, stories about the culture and the food, the people and the churches. But as I sat on my first long-haul flight bound for Taiwan, man, I was just filled with this sense of anticipation to get to go to these places. I was eager to immerse myself in the culture, to eat the food for myself, and and to get an opportunity to worship with this diverse group of people who worship the same God that you and I are here to worship this morning. And a few days later, we were in Tokyo, and we were sharing the gospel on the streets there. And I got into this conversation with these two high school students And I was asking them about their beliefs and what they thought about God. And eventually I got the opportunity to ask them if they had ever heard about Jesus. And these two guys, they kind of just got this weird look on their face. They kind of looked at each other and they just kind of shook their heads. And they had no idea who I was talking about. But knowing that these guys had never heard the gospel, never heard about Jesus' death and resurrection, man, I was filled with a great sense of anticipation at the opportunity to share that with them in the next few minutes. And a week later, as I sat on another long-haul flight bound back for the States, I was once again filled with anticipation. I'd had my fill of the sights and the sounds and the experiences of Asia, and I was ready to be home. I was ready to uh, be back to my daily life to see my wife again. You know, whatever the cause, the thing about anticipation is that the level to which we anticipate something is directly tied to our understanding or our knowledge of that thing. 
if I didn't know anything about Asia or if I hadn't heard any stories about the countries that I was about to visit, it would have been really hard for me to develop this sense of anticipation. And I anticipated the opportunity to share the gospel with those two high school students in Japan because I knew that what I was about to share with them was the most important message that they'll ever hear in their lives. A message that has deeply transformed me in the lives of countless others. My anticipation to return home was grounded in the love that I have for my life here, for my wife, the things that I love to do here. And this morning... We're kicking off a series, a new series here at Providence called Anticipating Easter. And in this series, we want to build towards our celebration of Easter by looking at how key events and themes throughout the Old Testament were actually anticipating or looking forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because for us to truly anticipate Easter, we have to understand that the death and the resurrection of Christ is actually what all of history was moving towards. That ever since the fall of his creation, God has been on a mission of recreation. That ever since humans rebelled against God, God has been on a mission to bring his creation back. That from beginning to end, the scriptures tell a story which has at its center the climax of history. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of what Christ accomplished on the cross is understood fully only when set against the backdrop of that whole story. And so this morning, I want to begin in Genesis, the very beginning of the story. And the theme that we're going to look at this morning from Genesis 1 through 3 is the image of God. Because apart from an understanding of the purpose for which we were created, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ will have little meaning to us. And so what I want us to see this morning is that as those who bear God's image, we were created for the glory of God and the good of others. And my hope this morning is that as we understand the purpose for which we were created, we would walk out of this room motivated and equipped to actually live for God's glory and the good of others. And so this morning, I've got three points for us as we explore this theme of the image of God. First, we're going to look at how we were created in his image. Second, we're going to look at the consequences of the rejection of his image. And third, we're going to look at look forward to the day in which we are recreated in his image. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Genesis 1. It should be up on the screens behind me if you want to follow along there. We'll start with point one as we look at how we were created in his image. Read with me in Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's final act of creation in Genesis 1 is completely and utterly unique. Though he had spoken every last thing thing and being into existence, here we see that humanity was actually created in a category entirely their own. 
though all things had been created by God, humans were the only ones with the privilege to be created in his image. And we should think of an image as a representation or a reflection of someone or something. So that we were created in the image of God means that we were created for the purpose of representing or reflecting him, to reflect his character and his purpose. And we can see how this was intended to play out as we look at the description of image bearing in verses 26 through 28 here. God's image bearers, they were actually given a mandate. They were given certain things to do, a certain way to live. God instructs his image bearers to have dominion over the rest of creation, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. You see, God's mission from the very beginning was to fill the whole earth with his glory. And the primary means by which God receives glory in creation is through his image bearers actually living as they were intended to live. Our mission is to live fruitful lives, exercising dominion over the rest of creation in the pursuit of the glory of our creator. So the image of God is not something which we passively receive. And to be an image bearer is to actively pursue the glory of our creator and the good of his creation. So think about it this way. Uh, Isn't it true that our identity influences our actions? One thing that's true of me is that I am a husband. And as a husband, I love and I pursue my wife. I take her on dates. I take her into account as I make decisions. I make an effort to support her and to build her up in the way that she's been created. And when I meet someone new, even if Leah isn't there with me in that moment, very quickly that person is going to find out by my words and by my actions that I am Leah's husband. I'm also a resident here at Providence Church. Now, if I told you that, that, and yet I didn't show up to any meetings, if I didn't uh, spend any time at the offices, if I didn't do anything to participate in the vision or the mission of Providence Church, like you would probably question whether or not that was actually true about me. Whatever piece of your identity that you hold most dear, be it your marital status, your job title, or whatever else, I guarantee you that there's a connection between that thing and your actions. Providence Church, our ultimately, uh, ultimate identity and purpose are not our own. It's not ours to choose. Just as my role as a husband or my job title necessitates certain actions on my part, so too does our identity as image bearers necessitate action on our part. Our purpose as image bearers is to glorify God by living as he intended. To fill the whole earth with the glory of the one who created us and invested us with purpose. So the question for those of us in the room this morning is, do we believe that our primary identity is as image bearers of God? That we are not our own and that we have been created for God's glory and for the good of others. Think about your work. Have you ever stopped to consider that the work that you do and the way that you do it is actually intimately tied to the purpose for which you were created? That part of what it means to image God is actually to be a creator after the image of the God who created you. This means that our work is actually of immense value. And I'm not just talking about those uh, people that we think of as creatives, right? The artists or the musicians, 
Man, whatever you create, be it a, a lesson plan for your students or a tax return for a client, uh, a fort with the couch cushions with your kids in the living room or the landscaping out in front of your house, all these and more are a beautiful reflection of what it means for us to create after the image of our creator. I also think this is why we see people waste away when they fail to engage in meaningful work because they're failing to engage in a key piece of who they are and who they were created to be. And it's also deeper than the work itself. It's also the character of our work, working with diligence and integrity, striving to do our work in an ethical manner, refusing to cut corners or to compromise, treating our employees and coworkers with the dignity that they deserve as fellow image bearers. That we have been created in God's image also influences our families. To faithfully bear God's image is to love and to respect our spouse, to seek their good above our own. Families with kids have been created and called to raise their kids in such a way that they would know and love their role as fellow image bearers. Do you believe that your ultimate purpose in life is as an image bearer of God? To bring him glory, to live for him. To understand the story that God has written, we have to begin by understanding and believing that our primary role within that story is to reflect God's image. But the very fact that we must wrestle with this idea reveals that not all of us believe this to be true, or at the very least that we don't always act as if this is true. Even those of us who would affirm the fact that we were creating God's image in moments of honesty would likely be forced to admit that there are many times when we don't actually have any desire to live for the glory of God and the good of others. That we often intentionally pursue the opposite, seeking our own glory instead of the glory of God. This leads me to my second point, the rejection of his image. Look with me in Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. You know, on the surface, it seems as though the serpent is actually offering Adam and Eve something that they already have, an opportunity to be like God. If we think back to what we just saw in Genesis 1, God had created man in his image So in a way, man was already like God in the sense that he possessed this image. So I think the temptation was not so much about being like God as it was about becoming God. The serpent tempted Adam and Eve with this idea that the purpose for which they had been created was not good enough. He led them to believe that there was something better for them than what God had intended. That life would be better divorced from their creator and their purpose. And tragically, we see that Adam and Eve, they actually give in to this temptation that mankind, created to make a name for their creator by reflecting his image, instead chose to make a name for themselves. 
And from that moment on, mankind became bent inwards. That's what happens when we reject God's intention and we seek our own glory rather than his glory. And we become people caved in on ourselves, obsessed with our wants and our desires, with what that which advances our standing and increases our status. Our sin cuts us off from the purpose for which we were created and the desire to pursue that purpose. And it doesn't take long to feel the pain of living in a world of image bearers who've rejected their purpose and become caved in on themselves. The reality is that a world full of people who have rejected God's image and become bent in on themselves, it's not a flourishing world. So our work is no longer focused on the glory of God and the good of others, but instead on that which is easiest and that which makes the most profit for us or for our company. We've made our work about us instead of the one who created us for it in the first place. The shift is probably why most of us would say that our work is unenjoyable or meaningless. Sin and selfishness have caused us to actually separate our work from our purpose. And when individuals go to work for themselves, the door is open to all manner of shortcuts and compromises. And so we have bosses who care little for who we are and much for what we can do for them. So we see people taking advantage of and putting down their coworkers for their own gain. And even when we remain personally faithful to what God has called us to in our work, and the sin and the selfishness of others, it can still take its toll. You know, I was talking to somebody just a few weeks ago uh, about how their mom had been working on a project for weeks at their work, only to find in the end that a coworker they swooped in, they took the credit and the resulting promotion right out from under them. And even when, uh, and what about our families? The primary means by which God intended for his image bearers to be created and multiplied. We all know the statistics of divorce, broken homes, the stories about a mom or a dad who left, a mom or a dad that abused. And we've probably all experienced these things to varying degrees, right? The terrible boss, the friend or the coworker who's only in it for the money. Many of this room have felt the impact of a parent who's left, a parent who failed to be there or who was there in ways that we wish that they hadn't been. And we can easily identify those things out there, right? The way that sin and brokenness operates outside of ourselves. And yet I wonder this morning, when was the last time that we paused and reflected long enough to see that these tendencies actually exist in our own lives? How many of us would care to admit that we were the one cutting corners at work last week? That we were the ones shorting a customer or withholding the truth from our boss? That our marriage is actually hard because we can't help but put our needs and our desires above that of our spouse? that we lashed out at our kids in a way that they'll still be processing years from now. And if we're going to acknowledge the sin and the brokenness that exists out there, we must also acknowledge that the sin and the brokenness exists out there because it actually first and foremost exists within us. Our world and our lives are broken because we ourselves are broken. Because we and every other person on this planet were created for the glory of God and the good of others, and we've rejected that purpose perpetually seeking our own glory and our own good. And it's at this point in the morning that I hope we're all starting to feel this tension between life as God intended and life as it currently 
is, between the beauty of God's design and the brokenness, which is the result of our rejection of that design. But it's amidst that tension that we should be prompted to ask, will God intervene? We were created for the glory of God and the good of others, and yet we find ourselves in a position where that's no longer possible for us. And while we failed in our role as image bearers, God did not. As we look to the New Testament, we see that Jesus was actually the perfect image bearer. The image bearer that we failed to be. And so we read in Colossians 1, starting verse 15, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled to his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Guys, as image bearers fractured by sin, our only hope is to be redeemed and recreated by the perfect image of God himself. So this morning we celebrate the fact that Jesus came and he paid the penalty for our rejection of God and the pursuit of our glory. We chose to steal God's glory. Jesus came not to steal his glory, but to glorify him perfectly. To do what we were intended to do and what we can no longer do for ourselves. Jesus was the perfect image bearer. And it's through his death and resurrection that the world will one day be made perfect after the likeness of God's original design. This leads me to my third and final point, recreated in his image. Read with me in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him and they will be his people. And God himself will be there with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Some 2,000 years removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we anticipate the celebration of Easter because it is only through the finished work of Christ that this vision in Revelation 21 becomes a reality. Apart from Christ, we remain hopelessly enslaved to our sin and separated from our creator. But because God has made a way for his image bearers to be restored in Christ, we now look forward to the day in which all things will be made new. 
the day on which all the pain, all the brokenness, all the hurt caused by sin will be no more because we will have been recreated and restored to the life which God intended. Life lived in the presence of God and for the glory of God. And just as we were not created to be passive recipients of the image of God, neither were we meant to be passive recipients of the death and resurrection of Christ and the knowledge that all of history now moves towards this glorious recreation vision in Revelation 21. For those of us in the room this morning who believe that we were created for the glory of God and the good of others, who have been recreated in his image through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our call now is to help broken image bearers become whole in Christ through understanding and believing this message. And how are people going to understand and believe this message? It's through the power of the Spirit and the boldness of those of us in the room to actually take this message and to proclaim it. And so in line with what we've seen this morning, that we were created by God for his glory, for the good of others, I want to challenge you this week to ask at least one person in your life this simple question. What is the purpose of life? And it's our hope and our prayer as we go from this room this morning that through asking this one simple question of those who have not yet placed their faith in Christ, that we would get the opportunity to share with them that they were actually created for a purpose and that it is only through faith in Christ that they can live as God intended. And so as we go, would we go in boldness this morning? And would it be our heart's desire and our earnest prayer that the Spirit would use this one simple question in the lives of our friends and our coworkers to lead people towards genuine faith in the Savior? Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you have created us in your image and for a purpose. God, we thank you that you've revealed that to us through your word, and we pray that uh, we would be equipped and motivated by your spirit to actually live out that purpose in our lives today. God, would you fill us with great boldness and courage to live as you intended in a world that intends to do anything but that. And as we go and as we share with people, uh, would you give us courage in that? God, would you bring your word to bear? Would you bring your truth to bear in the lives of those who do not yet know that they were created by you and for a purpose? God, we love you, and we ask that you would do these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.